Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northern Wind Fantasy Podcast. We're the Three Rivers Boys. I'm Zach. I'm Jake. And I'm Steve. And we're here today to discuss the season one finale of The Wheel of Time. This is the eighth episode, and it's called The Eye of the World. This one was a doozy. Yeah, a lot of stuff happened. Yeah, let's do our uh, episode overview here. How did you guys feel overall about it? At the beginning, it was despair, and then uh, it slowly rolled off, and it was okay, you know. But I wasn't very happy at first. Jake, you look like you're ready to say something. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I loved a lot of it and was confused by some of it. I, I don't want to say disappointed um, because, you know, I, I know there's another season to come out already. You know, I, I feel like this wasn't maybe the big finale the showrunners might have thought they put out. Um, some of it fell a little flat for me, but I, I definitely liked it overall. It was a good episode. This is definitely not the best episode of the season, though. I mean, I think it's the worst one of the season. Yeah, I could probably agree with that too. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll just get into my thoughts. Uh, I thought this one was just an okay episode. Like, I thought all the other episodes have been good, and this one is like probably like a flat five, maybe five and a half out of ten, just like right in the middle of the road. It did a lot of things well, and it did a lot of things that were not so great. Uh, I felt like it, like in this point of the season, there were a lot of questions left unanswered that they just didn't answer and then also posed more questions. So it kind of made for an unsatisfying finale overall, but they did do a lot of cool things too. So I want to give them credit for that. I think story-wise they, they did a lot of good work, but a lot of the like technical stuff kind of fell flat. Yeah, we had talked about lighting being pretty good in some of the earlier episodes of this one. Not this one. Not this one. It was different from the other ones. The effects, I think, were really lacking too, man. The effects just feel unfinished. I feel like this was like a first draft that they just had to publish for some reason. Like, I don't know if it was COVID Mm. or like you look at those Trollocs and they're like PlayStation 3 graphics, man. Yeah. The first episode looked so much better from this. Like if it was just like internally consistent, it would have... I knocked it up like two points. To I don't think we saw 10, maybe. a single practical effect trollic in this episode. I don't I, think we did, did either. Did, did you Whoa, watch the was bonus the not Oh, one? you know what? I think the one that came up to the window and oh, screwed yeah, 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 probably right, was. Yeah. Right. It might not have been. No, I think it was. So do you think if he had worn his father's armor? <laughs> 100% would have lived. <laughs> and, oh my God. And why that would have done nothing because it? it had chest plate. It was big. It like, was, it was, yeah, it bounced right off. What a, what a dingus. That. He had maybe the worst character of the season. Yeah, and I just don't understand what the point of that was. Like, why he he didn't explain like why he wanted to wear his armor more. He was just like, no. Yeah, he just he's like, I already put it on. Yeah, <laughs> like you help me put this on. She was like, it's the fate of the world. We're getting into specifics now. This is not the time of the podcast all to right, talk about right. that. 
but we can rage on it later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll forget. Okay, so why don't we just start in the specifics? So if you haven't seen the episode yet, this is your TV show spoiler warning for episode eight. Uh, we're about to spoil the whole season, I guess. So if you haven't watched it all, go away. Yeah. Book spoilers aren't till later, though. Yeah. All right, so we start off with our cold open, which takes place 3,000 years ago in the Age of Legends. And if you look at the shot from season one where we see the ruins right after Leandrin hunts down that male channeler, those ruins match up with the uh, wide shot we get of this city at the end of this clip. So this is the same city. Mm. Mm, I like that. <laughs> that is good. That's like... Good for me. I like that. And it's foreshadowing from basically another cold opening, right? They're like, cold opens. We go hard. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't love this cold open, but I did love that shot. That did callback. a lot of cool world building things for me. I don't know if it like the actual content of the scene was that cool. Yeah, but, <laughs> but I do... I'm really happy we're doing the Age of Legends. Like, we're, yeah. we're all in. We're getting this... Um, and I expect we'll see more of it than just this next season. I think they're going to continue doing these Age of Legends flashbacks. Yeah, I think so too. I hope so. Because if this is the only one we get, I'm kind of like, why Why was this the pick? <laughs> it would have been cool if they showed him do like any magic. You know? <clears throat> I the think they will probably next season, but yeah. I mean, the guy's the best at magic ever and we didn't see him do any magics. Like, okay. Yeah. The, I mean, really, I think we can assume these are probably the two most respectfully powerful channelers in the world in the same room, really. Yeah, I mean, but you can't tell that by what's in the show. It's just like two well-dressed people. Yeah, well, you get, you get that they have like uh, positions of authority, but I don't know if that necessarily correlates to raw strength and the power. Yeah, well, I mean, just like also who are these people and like... There's nothing showing that they're really Who are they? I can answer that. They are Lucer and Telamon and Latra Pose de Cuma. I know we know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, let's move along and discuss yeah. the scene. <laughs> um, so they're talking in Old Tongue, and he's basically like, I'm going to go and trap the, the Dark One. Yeah, this is the last incarnation of the dragon, Lucer and Telamon. So this is Rand's previous life here. I'm glad we did the old tongue here. I really appreciate that. I think it sounded cool. Yeah, it um, did sound cool. Just some more depth to the world of Jordan here, you know? Definitely, definitely. So the conversation that they're having is uh, Luce Theron has a this plan that he wants to go and cage the Dark One. And this is a, a very risky plan, but if they pull it off, then you're basically looking at like a world without evil. And Latra per se mm. seems to think that it's too risky to be worth it because in caging the Dark One, they expose the source of the one power to him directly and he can influence that and make shit go bad. We're talking about a big whoopsie about to happen. Yeah, we know about this whoopsie already. You know, the male half of the taint, or sorry, the male half of the source gets tainted. 
they refer to it as the corruption in the show, but it's a fun little book fact there. They call it the taint. In yeah, the we, book. we like to say taint here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this is good stuff. I hope we get, like, I, I'm back to, I hope we get more of this because this could set up a lot of cool things. It, it, it doesn't really pay off in this episode, but I hope it does next season because... I would like to see a little bit of the Dark Ones touch on this world, you know? I, it looks almost a little too perfect. Like, why is Luz Theron thinking about fighting evil itself when everything looks so idyllic? But maybe we'll get in another scene it getting worse, and then that's what drives him to actually do it. It does kind of sound like he's, like, leaving today, though. Yeah, we really don't have anything to go on as far as his uh, motivations go for why he wants to do this. He's just like, I've made this decision, and I'm going to do it now, whether you want to help me or not. He's like, man, I really got to get away from this kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, uh... The other thing I just want to point out, this is just kind of a just nice little detail here. If you look at Luz Theron's hand, uh, he's got this gold band that wraps around the uh, three fingers of his hand, the uh, pointer, middle, and index, or pointer, middle, and ring. And if you, like later in the episode, uh, the dark one also has one of those same things. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe they're friends. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all we want to talk about for that scene, I think. We can move on uh, the credits roll. And then the first scene we get in the main timeline is Randon Moraine Hitch hiking their way through the uh, light here. Yeah, we come up on uh, Mushroom Man. And right? Is that kind of... <laughs> And we're just going to talk about the Rand storyline from here, right? We're not going to skip back and forth. Yeah, we split this up uh, based on location. Seemed like the best way to do it for this episode. So we have <clears throat> we're going to talk about the storyline in the Blight first, and then we'll talk about the Faldara uh, Tarwin's Gap storyline. After that, it's over. So we see this guy kind of decomposing, and Moraine gives us some backstory about what the borderlanders are like that these young men throw themselves into the blight to gain some acclaim, you know, uh, to prove themselves as a man. And a lot of them pay the price and don't come back out. Yeah. They become fungus. Yeah. yeah this is the thing that's in the books. Uh, specifically they go to try and find the eye of the world. And if they can make their way there and back, then it proves that they're a manly man. So they like to do that. Nice. Why wouldn't they, like, carve a path, you know? <laughs> I don't think you can. it just grow back in. Yeah, the Blight hates paths. So, uh, they move on past the uh, dead guy there and walk along a little further, and we get to the Seven Towers of Malkir. This is the city that Landman Dragarine is from. We heard this story in the last episode about how it fell to the blade when he was a little baby and his father's armsmen took him and brought him safely to Faldora while the rest of his family died. And seeing these towers is kind of some more foreshadowing of what this blight is all about. Um, 
Rand says it looks like it's been there for a thousand years, and Moraine guesses. I think she says forty, right? Well, yeah. how old is land? That's how like how long it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> right, exactly. So that it looks this bad in forty years is pretty crazy, especially like we were talking about how we get shown the Age of Legends ruins and how those look. That's pretty close to how. The Seven Towers of Mount Kir look. Yeah, they didn't look like really anything to me. I was like, that's a city. Yeah. You know, that would be terrifying. So I think it did kind of look like Angkor Wat. Like they have uh, those cool. towers in Angkor Wat. Yeah. Um, but those are like also a thousand years old, not 40 years old, you know? Yeah. So the blight definitely is hard on things. And this is some foreshadowing for our, our boy later. Yeah, yeah. So. Moraine says this is probably a pretty good place for us to take a break and they stop and drink some water and Rand falls asleep and while he's dreaming he dreams that he wakes up and he sees some blight moss growing on his hand so like it's it's almost getting him even while he just fall, fell asleep there for a little bit even though this isn't really what happened <laughs> But uh, he brushes it off, and Rand's like, "What did you dream about? Dreams are dreams very are super important, serious, especially this close to the dark one's touch." Yeah, she kind of like lunges at him a little bit, a bit, you know. Yeah, she's pretty aggressive about. Tell it. me what you dream, <laughs> and then scram. <laughs> yeah, stabbed through the friggin' face. So it was a sword. Yeah. Nice. He had like a cool looking scimitar type thing, almost. It had like a curved kind of blade. Came out her mouth. Yeah. Age of Legends sword. That'd be hard to do. Can you imagine feeling a sword inside across your teeth? I don't think she was feeling much by the time it got there. Yeah, I guess her spinal cord would be severed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got her. Um, so Moraine's dead. And fake out death. I hate it when they do this in shows, man. Psych. I mean, I guess you knew right, right away that it's a dream because you like saw him fall asleep, but Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I knew about it. <clears throat> I mean, you guys didn't think she was dead, right? I mean, no, no, I didn't think she was dead. dead. I was like, yeah, right. Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> um, so it turns out it was the dark one who shanked her. And Rand just shoots him straight in the eyeball, like right away. Like, good reaction speed, Rand. But uh, unfortunately, you're a little outclassed with your little bow and arrow there. Yeah. And we've seen him practice bullseyes. So, yeah. It was cool he got one off, though. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mess with the two rivers. Two rivers longbow. And if you pause this scene or like click around, on the D-pad with your Amazon remote, uh, you'll see the guy who is playing the Dark One. His name is Faris Faris, and the character is credited as someone called Ishmael the Man. Hmm. We've heard a similar name to that back in the show before. Uh, I don't know if we want to get more than that. That's probably a little spoilery. but No, I don't think so. I mean, they talked about him. Yeah, this is uh, this is the guy that that bartender was talking about. Ishmael, yeah, yeah, and also the guy who killed himself. He had two axes, and he killed himself about it. Didn't he uh, ward off? Yeah, the dreamer, the dreams guy, mm -hmm. Ishmael. Yeah, 
So that's pretty good. The dark one uh, calls Rand Luz Theron, and he's like, "Yeah, you look really different, but I can tell it's you anyhow. Like, yeah, you're Luz Theron there." And also, how could you come at me with one? I said, "I." What uh, I said, you idiot. He says you had a hundred last time. <laughs> I really like this interaction. Like, I think the guy that's playing the dark one here did a very good job with the, the character. What do we think of his outfit? I think it's pretty cool. This Eastern tuxedo kind of thing. Yeah, it's definitely like a tie. Futuristic, like it's a black tie affair. Yeah, I think he looks like a butler though, like with a tuxedo on. You know, I definitely like this guy's appearance. I like the salt and pepper hair and the beard. Like his whole vibe. Uh, he's got a very slick, like I'm the devil look going on. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, definitely. I had a lot of time to think about this. <laughs> there was a, a Stephen King short story where a little kid meets the devil called the man in the black suit. And it kind of reminds me of that. Nice. Nice. I'll have to look for that. It's in uh, everything's eventual. Okay. I think I actually have that one. Oh, and then he, uh, Calls him out for his sword. I'm not so sure if you mentioned that. Yeah, he's like, what are you even trying to do here, man? Like, you don't know how to use this hairmark blade. Like, you obviously just got this off somebody. Like, you didn't earn this yourself. Uh, he's like, you don't know how to use the power. Like, what do you think you're walking into, man? You ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to go well for you. And Rand has the audacity to just kill himself. Yeah, which is weird. I guess that tells us something about what kind of dream world scenario we're in. If you're a book reader, uh, I don't know if we really want to. Yeah, that's enough. I mean, like, there's there's different kinds of dreams, and he there's kills a himself. Bunch of stuff about this scene that I'd like to talk about in the spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into it. that. Oh, for sure. So he wakes up, and they have. Uh, him and Moraine have like the exact same conversation that he had before in his dream when he woke up. The uh, what did what did you dream about? Dreams are important, especially as close to the dark one. Exact same exchange, which was a little weird. Yeah, I don't understand how that really happens, but um, I was actually expecting another sword through the throat. I was like, yeah, again. <laughs> Well, I think like this is maybe showing that Rand has a little bit of power to his dreams, like more so. Like, was that dream that he had before a prophetic dream? It seems like it. Uh, that's true. And also, like, he is a powerful guy. So, yeah. This is when she gives him the little man after this. Let's see. Do they refer to this as a... Does she say this is a Saw Angriel or a Terra Angriel? She says Saw Angriel. Yeah, right? okay. Yeah, which is a really big deal. I think uh, in the books, we get like a handful of these. I want to say like five maybe tops in yeah. Saw Angriel. Rare so magic items. These are like the rarest of the rare magic items. This is like a purple item. Yeah, it's like a robe of arch magi. <laughs> Rarity. Purple loot here. So, uh, Rand is like impatient at this point as they're walking along. He's, he really wants to know Moraine 
or uh, what Moraine is thinking, like what's her plan? She never, ha- she always has like a plan and a backup plan and a backup plan to the backup plan. So he's like, I know you got something going on here. Scheming, I said I. And she gives him that song real and says, you're going to use this to put the dark one back in his prison. And Rand's like, well, that's not much of a plan. You really thought that uh, Egwene was the dragon reborn, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, yeah. (laughs) And Rand says, so did I. See, I don't understand why Moraine wouldn't bring the strongest channeler she's ever met with her. You know, like I understand they can't use the power very much, but like we've built these characters up and seen what they're capable of. And she's just like, nah, just me and Rand. Let's go. Well, I don't think she expects that even the most powerful channeler that's ever lived would have much to do against the dark one. Unless they're the dragon reborn. Who's like the only one that's fated to combat the dark one. That's true. Yeah. It's I like think a guarantee the, for, yeah, she's like, I got to Got my ace. <laughs> and, she, and she doesn't want them to needlessly die, basically. Turns out they do. I don't know why she thinks they're all going to die. That's in one of the foretellings. Is that why? Well, I mean, it's just, I think her and Swan just a, talk about that, right? I don't know if it was a direct foretelling. I think it's just a safe assumption when you're like fighting Satan to assume that he's very powerful. <clears throat> I mean, I'd rather fight Satan with a hundred guys than one. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I remember you said you came with ninety nine companions yeah. last time, and now you're <laughs> one. I said, I you're crazy. Well, they also expect him to be weak at this point, so I don't know. He's got a killer suit on. Watch out! So. Rand also asked Moraine if she can teach him how to channel at this point. And she says, no, you can't really do that because every time you embrace the source, you're going to go crazier and crazier. Yeah, in the book, I think they always phrase this, can a bird or can a fish teach a bird how to fly? Is that how they say it? Did I do that backwards? I'm not sure. I don't think it works in either direction. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, birds always know how to fly. Can a bird teach a fish how to fly? Yeah, because a fish can't fly. <laughs> a fish can't fly. Yeah, the, well, the main point is that Sidine <laughs> and Sidar, the male and female halves of the power, work differently. So, like, Rain doesn't know how to channel Sidine, so she can't really, like, teach Rain how to do anything. Right, the two halves are separate. Probably because they beat up every fucking dude that has, like... But she probably just, like, doesn't <laughs> need to get into that because she doesn't want him channeling at all in case that he goes too crazy... Yeah, and she straight up tells him uh, that's more the thing they go with in the show is that he's going to go crazy. Every time he touches the source, he gets more and more corrupted. Even if she could teach him, it would be a bad idea because of that reason. So that's the one she goes with. (laughs) Uh, Then we we get this Moraine story of her being taught how to channel. It's kind of touching, huh? Yeah, a real feel-good moment about Moraine being <laughs> severely beaten as a child. Yeah. And learned to channel. The point of this story is that uh, sometimes channeling can come as like a survival mechanism where <clears throat> in moments of extreme duress, you just kind of like do it as a reflex. And we've seen this 
we've seen Rand do this uh, on the bridge, protecting Egwene, right? And when he breaks down the door. And Nynaeve has done it a couple times, too. And Nynaeve has done it a couple of times. Uh, That's the only time she's channeled, really. I'm sure there's an example of Egwene doing it, too. I, I can't think of one right now. What, being angry and doing it? Yeah. I mean, she does it this episode. Or she force That's heals. true, yeah. She's like, wah, wah, wah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that later, though. <laughs> yeah, so they just keep moving, basically. And they hear some horns. And they look through the bushes and see the Trolloc army approaching the gap. And this was like, <laughs> this terrible, looks, yeah. dude. And they're <laughs> like little gremlin 3D things jump, jumping around. They like, should have just like not even tried to show it. They should have just like heard the horns. I don't know why they felt the need to put that in there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, to show the gap. They're like, look, we spent no time on this shot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm really disappointed with the effects in this episode. They could have easily just like had some loud ass horns and heard like Trollocs yelling and been like. And then the stuff that looked cool, yeah. I could have done like completely without. Like we were just talking about their like faces melting in later on in the episode. Like, I don't know. That was stupid. I thought. Yeah. Trollocs. Uh, There's mostly Trollocs. But the point is. I want to see hand to hand combat. Rand wants to like go back and help everybody who's still at Fardal, Faldara, all of his friends. And Moraine's like, there's no way we can help them. We have to go to the eye of the world and kill the Dark One or put him in his prison. That's the only way we can help. So we need to push forward. It really seems they uh, could have just stopped them there, though, if she had stayed. Yeah. Well, I mean, the women stopped her, right? That's true. I mean, with Moraine in the circle. She could have just done what they did. And even better because she can control it. She's more powerful than anybody there besides Egwene and uh, Nynaeve. Well, they have a strong real. I think that. Yeah, that's true. Too. Most of the song all are gendered, I think. So they only yeah, work only. on Sidene or Sidar. So I would um, assume Rand's Sidene one would uh, not work in that circle. Okay. You could ask him to like, try to, you know. But anyhow. Uh, they keep going and get to the eye of the world. And it's this big, like, sunken down, like, circular room with, like, a big spiral staircase around the outside. And down at the bottom is kind of this... Wet, mossy area. Yeah, with a, a symbol on the floor. It's kind of like a villa, I guess, or a, it's like a garden La Villa Strangiato. Yeah, uh, this reminds me of how some of the old <coughs> Roman and Greek wells used to look. Yeah. And it looks nice, too. And since the blight is, we we now know that it decays buildings, the fact that this place is still looking nice. Yeah, there's not a lot of blight here. There's just kind of some, like, old mossy stuff growing around. And I saw online somewhere that we might have seen this in that first shot yeah in the uh, wide shot of the city in the age of legends there's like a circular thing on the bot on the floor i don't know if it looks like it could be the other world yeah i mean we don't really have any reason to believe that but i i like it it's a cool theory so a couple of times a lot of people 
Uh, They're both circles, and that's about all we have to go on in that area. Circles so. <laughs> could could be a could be a sports stadium. But wasn't Leandrin there? We'll read it plausible. Didn't they like go there in the show to that original shot of the city? Remember in the first? Yeah, episode? that's the only thing that weirds me out. I guess is that it's not in the blight. Yeah, that city was not in the blight. Oh yeah, so that can't be it then. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you're right. Good point. Well, the world broke. I mean, anything could it be anywhere? That's true too. I don't know. Well, probably not. It, w- it didn't break since Leandrin was there in episode one. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put what this myth is busted now. Yeah, yeah, busted. Got him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, why would they live there? They didn't live there. Okay, so they descend down into the eye of the world. And at this point, Lan is on his way to the Blight. Uh, we get a shot of him, like, running through the woods, like. So, Rand and Maureen descend down into the eye of the world. Uh, while they're doing that, or sorry, before they do that, uh, Rand is like, oh, you should probably go back here. You said everybody's going to die. And Moran's like. This is my responsibility. If that's the price I have to pay, then I will do it. Yeah, and she does that all with her eyes. She doesn't really say anything. She's like, nod. Yeah. So then uh, she explains that nobody really knows what the eye of the world is. Uh, They used to have a bunch of books about it, but Dark Friends burned them all and purged the records. Yeah, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but like it makes me question whether this even is the eye of the world. Um, but I definitely think this is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where else we're supposed to be if this isn't the eye of the world. Yeah, whatever the trick of the 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 man, the Ishmael is whatever his plan is. So like the whole thing's a fabrication or like a misdirection. I'm not sure, but, you know, they just seem so sure of themselves. They're like, yeah, this is it. This is, nobody's ever heard of this place or knows where it is, what it looks like, but this is definitely it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what, I, that's what I'm getting at, I guess. Well, I mean, Maureen seems to think it's, like, where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. And Maureen seems to definitely know where this place is. Right next to Malkir. Uh Yeah, she's like, oh, the Isle of the World, let's go there right now. Yeah. Okay, so Rand, like I said, he uh, he feels like he's been to this place before, and when he gets down to the bottom, he has like visions of a ghostly Luzeran Telamon fighting the Dark One in human form. Does he though? He just kind of stands there and walks up to the thing. It looks like we're meant to think that he like sees that, or that he's at least like remembering it. Well, I just meant that like. We didn't see him fight. He just walks up to the circle, and then the, and then Ishmael's on the other side. That's true. Yeah, we don't know exactly what happened for sure. Rand assumes they're fighting. Face to face. So then he his attention is drawn to this yin-yang symbol on the floor in the center of the room, and he bends down to touch it, and he is kind of, he falls into like a dream world. Yeah, this is like kind of the two rivers, right? This is. Yeah, I think this is exactly the Althor form from episode one. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, it looked like 
where they're standing is kind of like where Tam and Rand like lit the lantern. Yeah, okay. You're right. Yeah. And so this is Rand's kind of dream life. Egwene, a little baby. And uh, Joya. Back on the farm where shearing sheep and growing tobacco and just living that good old farm boy that life. That sweet two rivers life. Yeah. But it's too good. Too good to be true. It cannot be. And then we get a freeze frame, like the world freezes, right? Uh, um, well, first, first he's like a little weirded out. He's talking to Egwene, like trying to figure out if she's real or not. Uh, oh, yeah, I like this. He's like, didn't you want to go study at the White Tower? And she's like, no, I want to be here with you. And then he asks, he tells her this like very specific story of like him and Egwene running away together as children. And she knows anyway. Yeah. Samael's like, you think I didn't know that? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think the implication is that this is like Rand's dream. So, like, of course he knows that because Egwene is like made from his memories. (laughs) Very true. So, that's when we get the like time freeze thing. I think it was right after that exchange. And the dark one kind of like walks up from behind Rand. And he's like, you know, you can't tell if this is real or not, but it could be if you wanted it to be. Is this what you want, Bran? Would this make you happy? Come to the dark side. It's funny because that's just like what would have happened if everybody would have left him alone. Yeah, probably. And that's like what is so alluring to Rand about it. Like all these I mean, even if Emmonsfield guys just want to go back to their old lives. Even if everybody would have left him alone, then Egwene would have become a wisdom and not married him. Maybe. Well, that's exactly why he doesn't buy it. He's like, none of this can happen. Implausible. (laughs) (laughs) So the dark one is like, you know, you're the dragon reborn, man. You could like shape the world to be whatever you want it to be. You could be, you could make uh, Egwene love you. Weave the pattern to your will. Yeah. And Rand is uh, at least momentarily tempted by this idea, it seems like, you know? Yeah, definitely. So then, uh, kind of like concurrent to this in the real world while Rand is dreaming. Sorry. We just want to go through the whole like Rand thing, I guess, first. I thought that's what we were doing. Yeah. I, I was about to switch to Moraine, but... Let's just finish the Rand thing. Oh, well, I mean, it's. I guess it's important to say Moraine's holding the knife to his neck while he's dreaming. Yeah. And gets... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Moraine is threatening to kill Rand. R- Moraine and Ashamael are basically still standing at the eye of the world or whatever this room may be. And uh, she has a knife to Rand's neck. And well, is like, we're skipping ahead a little bit. Let's just... I, I'm, I we shouldn't have started talking about Moran yet. Okay. I had like one more bullet point in the Rand thing. All right. So we'll just cut this all out. No, I mean, whatever. So the Dark One is also like teaching Rand how to channel at this point. And he's kind of doing this thing like it's called the Flame in the Void in the books where he learns to block out everything and focus on the power. And then he starts to draw it through him. And I think that's where I left my notes off. So then going back while all this is happening to Rand in his dream in the real, real world, Moraine like 
immediately attacks the dark one as soon as he shows up. She like throws a whole bunch of like cool looking blades of air at his neck. And he just like laughs it off and immediately cuts her off from the power. He's like, bitch. Oh, I guess that was her trying to hurt him. I thought she was trying to contain him, but now I guess that makes sense. She wouldn't for a killing blow. Yeah. Oh, and this is like, oof. Rain is cut off from the power now. Yeah. Is this permanent? It's kind of hard to tell. As far as we know, it's permanent. She's stilled. The way that the animation looks is very similar to what the shield they put on Logan looks like and not to what the animation when they gentled Logan. And he just like tied it off. Yeah. So I think there's two things that could have happened here and I'm not sure. I think they left it kind of intentionally uh, obscure or like not Mm -hmm. obvious like which one actually happened. So she could have been stilled, which is like what they did to Logan with men it's called gentling, with women it's called stilling, and that's permanent. You can't get your powers back after that. Or they can put a shield on her, and there are like varying amounts of time that they can make a shield. Like you got to understand that uh, Age of Legends people and the Dark One are like orders of magnitude more powerful and skilled with the power than modern Aes Sedai. So this guy's got some tricks. We're not sure what exactly he would just pulled here. It could be permanent. It could not be is all I'm saying. Yeah, this guy's knowledge of the power is unfathomable. I saw Rafe did an interview and he didn't seem to like indicate. He didn't like use the word stilled or okay. shielded at any point. So it's not really clear. <laughs> I think we're just going to have to wait and see what happens next season. I guess I can see that happening. I can see her not being actually cut off. She definitely thinks she is, though. We'll get into specifics about this in the spoiler section because I'm trying to, like, step around, like, serious spoilers here. Okay. Uh, I also want to say Rosamund Pike in this scene where she can't feel the power anymore. Like the look of anguish on her face was like, damn, this lady can act. <clears throat> That's what I was saying. Like she definitely thinks she's cut off forever. She, yeah. she doesn't have any hope in her eyes. huh? She <laughs> she's crushed, man. Yeah. She is a great actress. huh? I felt like she did good crying all season. Her eyes are always like teary. She did good everything all season. Yeah. She does a good job of looking just like worn out and over it. Yeah. Her hair's all frazzled. And I guess, you know, that's the hair department. But yeah. Hair department. So the quote you know, that, there's a hair uh, department there has to be. Well, there's like hairdressers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the quote that the dark one says here is must be an awful feeling to know the one power is there just at the end of your fingertips, but you can't quite touch it. I feel like she should have cut her fingertips off. Here to try, <laughs> try and get it. Yeah, that makes like let it out. That, that would just make it further from her nubs. Oh, yeah. She's adding distance. There. Unless, unless you threw your fingertips closer to the sword. Oh, it doesn't help if you throw your severed fingers. Why are we talking <laughs> about this? I'm just saying. I mean, like you don't know what his tricks are. I mean, like you don't know what he's. You don't know what that guy was up to. So. Uh, the dark one is taunting Moran now. He's like, 
you know, he's probably going to turn to the shadow. He's got a lot of uh, temptation here. And Rain pulls out a knife and is like, yo, I'll shank him myself if he starts to turn to the shadow. <clears throat> she even draws blood. Yeah. So they're sitting there like just in this kind of Mexican standoff where she has the knife to his throat. He could obliterate both of them with the power at this point, probably. But he wants to see what Rand's going to do if he turns to the dark. And Rand has this song, Real in the Dream World, and it's his choice as to uh, how it's all going to play out. I feel like this falls a little flat for me because I don't think we've seen anything where Rand had considered going to the dark side at any point. So I guess... uh, We have seen how powerful this relationship with Egwene is for him, though. That's true, I guess. So if that's the thing that's tempting him, then I could see that succeeding. Yeah, I think that's what we're hinging this off of. The dark one is... Basing, yeah, that Egwene relationship. That's his biggest fear, we know for a fact, other than whether or not he's the dragon, because Machin Chin told him that Egwene does not love you as much as you love her. Yeah, well, we're not supposed to listen to Machin Chin, so... They're not supposed to, but we can. <laughs> That's true. But isn't that just going to throw us off, things that they shouldn't be listening to? No. Nah. Well, I think the point is that like Machin Shin tells you your deepest, darkest fears, and that's like not a good thing to dwell on, so don't listen to him. Yeah. Mm. Very spooky whispers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it drives you insane is what it does, so that plays, I think. We're uh, off topic again, though. So Rand finally makes his decision. He starts to like channel into the song real. And I thought the effect of him channeling into the song real looked pretty cool. Yeah. That was like one of the few bright spots as far as VFX goes in this episode. And she sets this up, right? But she tells him, you know, you need to channel into this to use it to multiply your power. And I think she says 100 what, a, times. A thousand yeah, men. A thousand times, I think, is mm. it? Well, she says a thousand men created this with the one power, and it gives you, I think, Steve's right, a hundred times. Okay. Which would equal the 99 companions plus one. Whoa, Lose Theron. Lose Theron probably had a song real when he assaulted the Dark One at the board, too, though. It's possible. We'll never know what that guy was thinking. Did we mention that they call him the Dragon? They did call him. Mm -hmm. She did. In that flashback? I think we forgot to talk about that. I think that's something we would be better served to talk about. In this book spoiler I mean, section. I mean, she said out loud, said you it out are loud, the dragon, you're the dragon reborn. reborn, and Rand is the dragon reborn, so I think we're supposed to know that these two guys are the Well, yeah, same we team. said that that was his previous life. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just didn't know if we pointed out that title or not. But anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's so important that she said it. Like, hey, most powerful guy ever. Good, yeah. Good luck on that thing I think you'll fail at. Yeah. <laughs> dragon reborn. And she's the Tamerlan seat. Yeah, whatever that is. I don't know. So... Rand is starting, we're at the climax of the, of the whole story, and we just paused to talk about random stuff for like 10 minutes. It was like 30 <laughs> seconds. So Rand is making his big decision on which person he's going to blast, basically. And in the end, he's like, you know what? This isn't what Egwene wants. 
she wants to be an Aes Sedai, and I can't make her do something that she doesn't want to do. So he decides to blast the Dark One with the power. And he just kind of, like, obliterates him, really. It's Yeah, I mean, I think this is... Something well, I can't. See. What do you think Rand thought he was doing? Sealing him away, I guess. I don't know. I don't think Rand knows. You know, this is like that reactionary Should, channeling. Shouldn't he know though? I mean, he's been here before. I feel like that's what the, he's uh, there. No, right? I don't think he knows really. All right, what he's, he's doing. he just like went uh, like Kamehameha as hard as he could. You think? Yeah, or, like he doesn't have any connection to lose there. Well, in the book, he like does stuff like all the time without knowing what he's doing. Like, yeah. Yeah, he I mean, just yeah, does I mean, it. I'm not trying to say that that isn't. I'm just he's what's not, going through his head. I probably mean, like, he's probably like doing something from muscle memory from his past life. But I mean, I think he thinks he like blasted him away. You know, I think he's thinks he's gone. Gotcha. Evaporated. But before he like totally dissolves, we catch this old boy making a little smirky smirk at Rand. Yeah, mm. I, I don't think I'd smile if I was dying. <laughs> yeah. And maybe he was happy that he chose violence. And then the yin-yang broke. Right. Crack. Yeah, so uh, Rand asked Moraine after everything is settled. He's like, tell everybody that I died. I'm getting the hell out of here because I know I'm going to go crazy and I don't want to hurt my friends when I do. (coughs) Then Moraine's like, okay, bye. (laughs) And it's interesting... (laughs) To point out, bye uh, bye. Moraine's like, I can't lie, and he's like, you'll figure something out. But if the oaths are still holding, what does that say about the status of Moraine in regards to the One Power? Interesting question to ponder. I don't think we should really put any theories out there at this time. I see. I see. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. She's a wise one. Uh, and then Land shows up and to do nothing. He's like, I'm here, I'm gonna protect you. And that's yeah, he doesn't really do much other than that. And Moraine's like Day late and a dollar short, Lamb and Dragon. Moraine picks up this piece of rock and she's like, This is Quendiar, it's unbreakable, but it's like real smashed up here. That's weird. Yeah. I don't think this was the last battle. Yeah. This and- was only the beginning. Dun dun dun. I think that she kind of came to some realizations to like, we may, I think we'll find out at the beginning of next season, but like she was like, Oh, I think I know what happened. That's what I got from it. Yeah. Well, she doesn't hear the audience in on it at all. But. Yeah. 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 She was like, Oh no, I died. I may have made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's it for uh random Moran and Lan. Do we want to talk about what happens with the rest of the gang here in Faldara? Yeah, well, except for what did the episode end with before the the boat people showed up? Like, what is the last thing before that? The, the Emmons Field people? I mean, the yeah, two I rivers think, people? I think it's the people in Faldara. Okay, cool, cool. All right. So we start off uh, with Perrin and Egwene. Right where we left them at the end of the last episode, they're like, hey, should we try to chase down Random Moraine? We want to protect our friends and 
basically the parents like, yeah, we'd never survive by ourselves in the blight. We don't like know how to track them. We don't know like what will try to kill us in the blight. Yeah, what a terrible idea that is. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad like one of them wasn't like good at like tracking people or like seeing things from far away and stuff like that. Yeah, only Nynaeve can be good at tracking. Aaron uh, didn't have yellow eyes, I noticed. <laughs> I noticed that too, Steve. You're so butthurt about that. I mean, I just, he had yellow eyes one time. Uh, so Nynaeve is talking to Lan and she says, hey, I didn't track you from the two rivers. I tracked Moraine. She has a tell. And if you bring Lan back, or sorry, if you agree to take Rand back safely, I'll tell you what that tell is. But I won't tell the audience. <laughs> yeah kind of want to know what it was what do you think it was do you think that she like eats crackers while she walks <laughs> and like you know just kind of like crumbs all over her mouth all the time and stuff <laughs> I don't know we'll never find out they don't they don't give us any hints I think that's a pretty good theory maybe she's a spitter yeah she dips <laughs> she probably bites her nails because she's under so much stress with these goddamn kids like running around fucking everything up all the time <laughs> He's like, oh, here's some more of her fingers she bit off. Uh, Good tell, Nynaeve. (laughs) Tracking them on horses across the countryside. It's supposed to be Leanne's job to cover (laughs) Moraine's tracks for her, too. So, I mean. That's true. He would see some of her normal tracks. That's what I don't, yeah. But anyways. So at this point, Nynaeve is also like, maybe we could be together when you get back, too. Uh, I don't know. Wisdoms can't wed, but it seems like I'm going this acid eye route. And oh, we get a great line from the books, huh? Yeah, I will hate the man you choose and love him if he makes you smile. Talking about her taking on a warder because he can't be her warder. Or just like, I think this is more about like who she ends up with romantically than for choosing a warder. Yeah, well, it's more, uh, it's about him saying it's definitely not going to be me. Right. Because he's convinced that he's probably going to die at some point, if not like today. Well, and he's already <laughs> bonded to Moraine. Like, he he can't really. I think like warders can be in relationships with people other than their eyes to die. He just like. I don't think there's any. Doesn't want her to become a widow. Definitely. Yeah. And he has a chip on his shoulder. He's like, I got to fight always. Yeah. So you can't. We can't talk all the time. I'm gonna fight against the blight. Um, I, I did like this dialogue. Um, it happened pretty early. Like, um, like their relationship took off there, right? I mean, this is it's more subtle than it is in the books. I mean, no, I think they set this up pretty well. They've been doing uh, this since episode two, three. She's in episode three, three yeah. when she tracks. But him. still, it's been. Like several. It's been episodes. two months, and now they're in love. That's like plenty of time to fall in love with somebody. That's true. That's fair. Especially if they try to kill you, and you're into that. Mm, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. So he's like, we can't really be together. I mean, I do have feelings for you, but it's just not fair to either one of us to be in a relationship. 
And the next scene we get is Nynaeve listening to the wind, trying to like get back in touch with her roots, I guess, probably because she's feeling a little down right now. And Egwene comes out and joins her on the balcony and tries to listen also. And she hears something that Nynaeve can't hear. Uh, the the sounds of Trollocs being Trollocky. Oh, big spooky. I, I really love, I said this last episode too, the way Faldara looks and Tarwin's gap out in front of it with this big wall. This is kind of exactly how, you know, I would picture this being defended. It's just a huge sheer wall with arrow slits in it. It does not last nearly as long as I feel like a fortification like that would last. Yeah. Uh, yeah, them Trolloc boys, they bust in there quick, huh? You could have just closed the doors. I don't anyway. think there was any doors to the front of it. You have things to put the in the holes. Slits. Yeah, the arrow slits. The shoot. You know, I mean, you need something to shoot out of. Hmm. They got through it fast. Yeah, they got through it real fast. Yeah. Uh, where are we at, though? So she hears this noise coming, and she's like, if what I heard before the Beltine attack was a whisper, then what I just heard now is a scream. So something big is coming. There's a, a shitload of trucks. So Nynaeve, Egwene, Perrin, and Loyal decide to head down to Min's bar and confront her about uh, the conversation she had with regarding uh, Rand and Moraine earlier in the last episode. Yeah, and she's ready for them. She knows they're coming. Of course she does. And we get a really funny exchange here. Like, Min's good, dude. I like Min. She said, a parent's, she offers his parent a drink, and he's like, it's not even noon yet. And she says, you're the one that's in a bar right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Come into a bar, I'm going to offer you a drink, you doofus. Literally a bartender. Yeah. <laughs> so she says she won't tell them about uh, her conversation with Moraine about Rand. But she's like, yeah, I can't tell you what, but I'll tell you that my visions always come true no matter what. I've never had a false one yet. No matter what. And then uh, there she gets a couple new visions. She has a vision of Nynaeve kind of like in pain, collapsing to her knees and her eyes char up. And then she looks over at a table of soldiers partying it up, and she sees them getting, like, cut to pieces by Trollocs. Yeah, and then we hear, like, the alarm get sounded. And everybody's like, oh, shit, and takes off running. Yeah, it's time to prepare for battle. I mean, this, this is cool. I think this shows how prepared these Borderlanders are. Everybody's kind of part of the army. They're super, they're very prepared for this fight. Oh, they had ballistas yeah. getting loaded. And Everybody starts pulling out. The big guns. This is not a drill. Yeah, so we get to uh, we cut we cut away and see Lord Agle- Lord Aglemar is in like uh, his battle planning con- council stage thing here, and mm-hmm. uh, his advisors are like, "Yeah, we got five to ten thousand Trollocs on the way, based on how many fades we saw out there." This guy's name is Lord Yakota, and the other guy is Uno, by the way. Okay. Uh, Lord Yakota says that drawbridge ropes have been cut. 
weakening the city's defenses, and that probably means that we got dark friends in the city. Spooky. Foreshadowing. Yeah. And this is a really big deal in the in the borderlands. Yeah. So Agumar makes the decision to commit his entire force to the fortress at Tarwin's Gap in a last-ditch attempt to prevent a full-scale trawl invasion of the Westlands. And his sister is not really convinced with that plan. She's like, hey, there's no way that the gap is going to hold against 10,000 Trollocs. Yeah, but and he knows this. You know, this is, again, like a really good character moment for the Borderlanders. He's yeah, like, I, I know that in the next scene. Oh, sorry. <laughs> What's that? I was just saying that's the next scene where they talk about it. So Agumar is getting battle, ready for battle in the throne room, and we get that scene where he's like putting his armor on. Yeah, he almost oh, like she's helping him put it on, and he's like, "I don't want to wear the fancy heirloom armor, <laughs> the good armor." Yeah, she's like, "But it protected your grandpa and your dad." I need my <laughs> armor. It's like, all right, buddy. Chill. I mean, his armor probably fits him better. Yeah, that's definitely true. So, uh, they're basically, they're like, they confirm, they're like, yeah, this is the biggest Trolloc army that's ever been seen here that we can remember. And Agumar thinks this is Tarman Gaiden, the last battle. He's like, this is the apocalypse starting right now. Like, we're not fighting it directly here, but this is like the first stroke in the game plan. And if we can slow down the Dark One's forces enough that our messengers can warn the other kingdoms in time to form a defense, then that's uh, a price that we will be willing to pay. Yeah, he fully expected the city to fall. That's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that goes, uh, Jake, if you want to get to what you were saying about the uh, Borderlander. Yeah. Psyche uh, or- it's, it's, their psyche is that every one of them was willing to die in in defense against the the blight, right? In in killing Trollocs and Fades. It's like their number one thing that they're about. And they know that it's their duty to hold as long as they can. Because, okay, so the gap at Faldara is holding the Trollocs back into the blight. And yeah, they could... Or, I'm sorry. This is the easiest place to cross the mountains in like thousands of miles, I think, in either direction. So Tarwin's Gap is the valley that they can get through. So in holding the gap is strategically more important than Faldara, the city that he lives in, which is near the gap. He knows that they can hold Faldara, but that the Trollocs will just go around them and invade the Southlands. Yeah. So he's like, everything to the gap, this is where we make our stand. Yeah. So he's saying, like, the city doesn't matter. We're protecting humanity. Oh, okay. Damn, that's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I I like this a lot. Yeah. So every man died at that wall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Faldara has basically been completely destroyed, I guess, besides the women who are still fine in the city, I think. I don't know. Yeah, this is people aged, like, Every man from probably age 13 to 60. We're getting ahead of ourselves still yeah. here, though. Well, the battle starts after this, right? Or they're at the gap. The yeah, army. so this is where shit hits the fan. Uh, the Trolloc army 
arrives at the gap and Agomar brings his like personal guard and all the soldiers from the city to the wall at the gap to make his stand. And man, these Trollocs look terrible here in the daylight. Trash. Yeah. I don't know if they like ran out of budget or didn't have time or what, but this is like not a finished product. I mean, they could have just had five guys dress up and copy pasted it and it would have looked better. Yeah. It does not look very good. I think they used the same shot of like Trollocs like hooting and hollering like from the first twice. episode. No, yeah. it's in the same episode. Oh, okay. Like they use it when Agamor like first looks out and then I think they look at it again like <laughs> they, they cut away to some stuff happening. Like in a video, the, eye, the same one. And, like, and then it comes back and you see like the same Trollocs like jumping up and down and waving their swords. And then Agamar like shoots one with his crossbow or something. It's like audience members in uh, sports <laughs> video games where they all like kind of do the same motion yeah, at yeah. the same time. Yeah, it looked like a stadium shot in like the yeah. background of Madden or something. <laughs> Were people upset that he said ready, aim, fire or something like that? I don't know why that would be if they were. Did I, you see that somewhere? Yeah, I, th- I think I saw that on Twitter or Reddit. They were like, oh, "Why would you do it like that?" I'm like, "I don't, I don't know what you're, why you're saying that." But yeah, I guess I guess um, you wouldn't say ready and aim. I have heard that traditionally, like volley fires didn't really happen because you would just let people shoot as fast as they could because yeah. like some people can shoot faster than others. Like, why would you make them slow down yeah, or I other mean, people speed up? Like, that's a silly criticism to make about what it is a silly particularly criticism. Though, yeah, it's like, like very historically specific. Like, yeah, like every pretty, I've never seen that happen. Like every single like period piece with archers in it, they say that. Like, yeah, yeah, pretty pretty silly criticism. Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, like. They all have a scene where somebody's like, knock, draw, loose. Yeah. Yeah. There are like 10 of those in Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, I know that I, it, when I shoot a bow and arrow, I like forget that I'm shooting bow and arrow. And then it's nice to have your friends there and they're like, hey, don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't forget what we're here for. I'm like, oh, oh, that's right. I'm shooting it. I got one. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so back in the city, Amelisa is preparing the defenses, and we have like this awesome montage. I think Jake mentioned this a little bit ago, where they're like putting armor on and loading up all these uh, scorpions and ballistas and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like it looked like there was going to be a, a badass scene. We never see any of this stuff actually get used. No, it's like it's all this set up for like no payoff. Yeah. <laughs> This was like an extensive montage and we never see any of this stuff again. They could have used that at the gap. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen one of those scorpions nail like three trollics. They're like, you know. No. Nope. Only electricity from the sky. (laughs) And here's one of my, speaking of maybe more obvious historical criticisms. Why in TV shows and movies do we always have to stand in front of the big wall? Yeah, I have that up here later. <laughs> huh? so how, how can you see them behind the wall? We see Uno and Lord Yakota are on a special mission now. They've got some pickaxes and they're like digging up the floor beneath uh, Lord Agamor's throne. And we cut away from that and see Egwene and Nynaeve have answered the call for women channelers to help defend the city. So can I talk about this busting up the throne room floor? So I'm kind of suspicious of this because like, we never saw 
uh, the Lord of Faldara like tell them to do this? Are they supposed to be doing this? He did say earlier, quote, you know what to do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And they went, they just nodded at him. Got it. Looked like pretty capable soldiers that could have been at the gap, but. Well, I mean, they got some pretty important shit they're doing here. Yeah, to hand to Pot on Fane, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Don't blow it. Not right now. Yeah. (laughs) We just lost everybody we know and love. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) So the Trollocs hit the gap. Wait, I got it scrolled way back up. Sorry. So Agumar is leading the defense at the gap, and he's like raining crossbow fire on the approaching army. There's just like thousands and thousands of crossbow bullets falling. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It seems like this should have like really torn up the Trolloc army. Yeah, I, I wanted this battle to last a little longer. This is such a cool defense with all these arrow slits. You, it seems sh- like they were just like out of budget and they couldn't afford yeah, it's to exactly like show what it. it. Is, like, yeah. uh, it's disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, you could have just plugged up the holes. I mean, there has to be... Why would you plug up the holes, though? You want to be able to shoot out to in? kill them. Well, then you might as well not even have a wall there if you're going to plug up the holes. Like, why have a castle like just build a solid wall? Well, because this is different, right? This is the most that's ever hit. They're like... Literally making piles of bodies so they can get into the window. Yeah. Right. At least the first couple of windows. Well, if you plug up the walls, them. then they're just going to like crawl over top of the wall and go raid the rest of the. Well, like you Westlands. said, you could be on the other side of the wall and just shoot them as they come out the tunnels. <laughs> <laughs> now, the arrow slits make the most sense. I mean, you have to have arrow slits to shoot out of. That's the whole point is they're trying to do a lot of damage. Like if they just like hide, they could have just hid in the city too. Yeah, they're like trying to if kill as many people as possible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think those all sound pretty reasonable ideas actually, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, they wanted to stop the invasion and slow it down so that people had a chance to survive in the other kingdoms. But anyways, um, we do get some. Is this is this where we get that shot of them like kind of World World War Z piling bodies up, yeah, kind of yeah. coming up the wall? I did think this was a cool comparison that uh, they were trying to draw between like how much damage this conventional warfare method does versus like the four ladies of the power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is some good foreshadowing for some like full scale battles that we get later in the series. Yeah, where the power comes into play. A powerful channeler is worth a lot of, you know, common fighters. And linking them together. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Especially when you have two of the most powerful channelers. Plus grandpa's armor. Yeah. So we got we have these like what is it? Like Egwene, Nynaeve, Amalisa, and like two other ladies, I think, for five people. Yeah, I believe yes. it's uh, Miss Cannon Fodder A and Miss Cannon Fodder B. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how the, I felt. The one, the one lady has the uh, Kai sign on her forehead. Yeah, it's, she's Malkyria. Is that the guy's it, wife that we saw? Yes, yes, that's her. Episode? Yeah, that's Lance, like father figure guy. R.I.P. Mom's mother figure. Right. So, like, why are they standing in the middle of this open field just, like, waiting to get fucked up by Trollocs? Because it looks cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess. 
Why not stand on top of the wall and do that? Is this another budget thing where they just like didn't have a wall set? You, how hard could that be? The top of a wall? <laughs> yeah, I mean, how did she even know? Well, I mean, how if, to do if they put them on top stuff? of the wall, also you got to have like archers and ballistas and scorpions going at the same time next to them. Like I don't know. Uh, think, how much cooler would that have been? It would have been cooler. I just don't think they could afford to do it. Like I don't know how they fucked up this bad when they had like. I am not ten million dollars an episode. I want to know. I want to. I don't believe they spent ten million dollars an episode. I think Jeff Bezos made that up. Well, I'm, call, <laughs> I'm calling you out, Jeffy. <laughs> Jeffy, we know you listen. We established that already. So they did also build like their that whole studio. So I'm wondering if a lot of the season one budget went into building Jordan Studios in Warsaw. I think it is. Or yeah. Prague. Okay. So that, that, like, hopefully now that that's established, that'll like reap rewards in making every dollar have a bigger impact in future seasons. I mean, but, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I still, I feel like that still falsifies. I mean, the, it doesn't excuse the fact that this episode looks terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. So wait, can we talk about how Agumar's uh, dad's armor probably would have protected him from the bolt going yeah, into his chest? Yeah, definitely would have. I mean, would it have? I don't know. It, had, it was a plate instead of 100%. like whatever that thing Agamars was. Mars was like a full breastplate and his that stuff was like scale mail almost. Yeah, and the other one was better for sure. The breastplate's usually better, especially nah. if it fits you. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how she it wasn't wore like it. magic armor. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out she used magic while in that armor. That's true. It didn't have a uh, spell failure chance. Well, or did it? Yeah, it did. Did it? <laughs> <laughs> D&D nerds. She felt too powerful in it. She looked too fly. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, then we get Perrin. He's sick of, like, not doing anything. He's like, yo, this way of the leaf might suck. Uh, my friends are fighting for their lives out there, and I'm just kind of, like, standing here. Talking to an ogier. Yeah. And Loyal's like, what if we asked how we could help? And Perrin's like, damn. (laughs) (laughs) So wise. Oh, my gosh. And then they go ahead and uh, don't do anything for the rest of the episode. I mean, that's not really true. Perrin puts his big blacksmith muscles to work with that pickaxe. Yeah. I wish it was a hammer. Or if he had yellow eyes. Would have been cool mean. if it was a sledgehammer and then he like kept that hammer around. Just something to think about. Yeah. Well, the show's not over. Yeah. So uh, they start helping Yakota and Uno dig up whatever is buried beneath the throne. The Horn of Valir. So things are not going well at the gap. We see Algomar like get off like one more shot and then he gets totally impaled on a big old spear. He doesn't have any mithril on like Frodo did. So I think he's probably dead now. (laughs) Yeah, dead for sure. Yeah. And it did not take very long for the, these Trollocs are really animalistic, huh? Uh, I don't think, I think I can say that in the books, they're a little more, intelligent than these ones. I don't seem. know if they really are, except for that one Trolloc in Eye of the World. They be, uh, no, they have like some more... They have animalistic. They're like 
culture and stuff, I think. They want to eat and they want to be angry. And, and the, I don't want to get too much into it, but I, I do think they're a little more intelligent in the book. But yeah, this thing just rips open this arrow slit, smashes it open. It's pretty cool. But it still does not look very good. And, and then we see uh, Pod and Fane infiltrates the castle with the help of a bunch of fades. They, they somehow know the uh, sign countersign to get these ladies to open the door up. And then they're like immediately beheaded by fades. Yeah. And it's like, so the fact that they know the sign countersign to get in this place does lend a little credence to your theory that there's a dark friend somewhere in uh, Lord Aguilmar's entourage, I guess. Yeah, a higher up in the entourage, somebody with some clearance that could pass that information down. And I, I do think they've done a good job with the fades the whole series. These things are scary and they freak me out. Yeah, Shadowy. They're, they're pretty creepy. You're supposed to be able to see fades coming though because they lit all of the candles in the town. Yeah, well they don't just like pop out of a shadow or anything, do they? I'm just saying that like nobody saw these people except for these guards. They killed everybody who saw them. Yeah, that's true. So back in the throne room, uh, these guys have uncovered the Horn of Valir. And this is another mistake that I think the show has made is that like, what the fuck is the Horn of Valir? Yeah, this has never been mentioned until now. Well, it's actually a really nice briefcase. <laughs> Ten episode seasons. Listen to me, Jeffy Bezos. I mean, in the book, I think we hear about the Horn of Valier in like... Probably episode one, yeah. Yeah, if you're using... The, the Hunters of the Horn. It's like is, the, one of the first chapters of the book, yeah. I think, is Tom tells a story about the Hunters for the Horn. Yeah. I don't think it really gets explained what it is, but it's like out there. And then they talk about how like the Great Hunt for the Horn has started in Ileon. Yep. Oh, they did? Yeah, mm -hmm. and nice. I of the World, I think, like before you're even halfway through at least. Oh, I thought you meant in the show. No, they didn't in the show. In the show, they have not mentioned it at all. But uh, we can say what it is here, I guess, because they basically sum it up in the show. But if you missed it, it's uh, this is kind of like a legendary horn that has this magical connection to what they call heroes of the horn, who are people out of legend that come back to life from the grave to fight for whoever blows the horn. And they don't blow it while everybody they know is dying. I don't want to like get into what happens in Wheel of Time. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't they blow it? Because they have can't. to give it to Pot on Fame. It's for the dragon. Is that's it? what they, that's what they think. Okay. You know what to do. Do they say that? Yeah. Okay. They're like, we can't blow it. Parents like, shouldn't we just blow it now? And I think Lord Yakota says, like, we can't blow it now because it's for the dragon. We need to get it out of the city so they can use it in the last battle. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And then what do they do? Just start him and Han, and then Perrin sees Pond and Fane go by, so he follows him? Well, let's consult the notes. Uh, Pond and Fane's good and creepy here, huh? Actually, before that, we switch back to the channelers in front of the city. We are now back at the battlefield in front of the city. Uh, the channelers linked together with Amelisa leading the circle. 
which is cool in concept, I think, because like you get to have the power of Nynaeve and Egwene uh, wielded by this lady who was trained to use the power at the White Tower, but was too weak to become an Aes Sedai herself. Right, and this introduces the concept of a circle and linking, and I, I love that. Well, we've seen linking before. They do it in uh, the battle against Logan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to still him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely like this dynamic here of this, like you said, this weak channeler who gets all this power. I just don't like how it was presented. It could have been so much I even better. like how it was presented. I just think this was like the wrong time to do it. <laughs> yeah. For her, it was for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, or or maybe it wasn't. You know, I mean, they saved the day, right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So uh, the Trollocs have overrun the gap at this point and are charging like directly at our group of Chandlers here. And then we cut back to... Perrin, who spots Pat and Fane and chases him down the hall. And while he's doing that, uh, Fades attack the uh, group of Shinarans that are protecting the horn. So Perrin arrives back in time, like, but he the noise like draws him in and he runs over to see what's happening and he gets there just in time to see Fane like pulling his knife out of oil and everybody <laughs> else is like dead on the ground or so oh my god it's man just, yeah. when I saw that he had stabbed Loyal and then when you see which knife it is yeah this is the knife Matt has this is the evil Shatter Logoth knife yeah that's not good to get stabbed by that knife probably I don't think that's gonna end well for him how did he get this damn thing yeah quickly he got it very quickly well it was at the tower so I guess the implication is that he got it from the tower somehow Lan actually handed it to him and said hey get this out of here (laughs) (laughs) don't touch it though we see like later on in Patton Fane's like monologue basically like a shot of Matt at Tarvalin I don't know if the implication here is that Matt like stole the dagger for him. I don't feel like Matt would give up the dagger if he had it in his hands. Correct. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that it was just showing that because it wasn't he saying your friends suck. All your friends suck. Yeah. You suck. Your friends Mm -hmm. suck. So I don't know how many of these people are actually dead or not. Nobody is like confirmed to be dead, but I guess it looked like Yakota was pretty dead at least. Yeah. He like kind of bled out and we saw his eyes like. That's (laughs) true. He can be healed. Egwene just has to like lay on him or something. (laughs) Um, So you you hadn't mentioned this when Perrin was running around in the hallways. There was a bat that flew at him. And I don't think this is like very spoilery, but the the evil people, dark ones use bats to spy on people. Yes. So rats, crows, crows, rats, yeah, bats. So back on the battlefield here, uh, Amalisa is channeling more of the one power than she has like ever dreamed of in her life. Basically, as somebody who was too weak to become an acidai, she like has never experienced anything like this before, and she gets really caught up in it and starts drawing more and more. 
and she totally wipes out the Trolloc army, but she can't stop waving once that's over because uh, channeling the power is kind of like a drug or something. Like it's very addictive. You can get lost in it easily. It's you have to have a lot of self control to not like want to take too much and kill yourself. Basically, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. It's very. It can be very overwhelming, and you just get washed away by it. Basically, yeah, like any kind of power is addictive. So the one power is like it's the most dopest thing ever. Uh, I guess we should say too that the guys at the wall did hold the wall a little bit because time changed, right? Like the. The sun went down. It's dark. Yeah, that's true. So, like, they did last some amount of time, but though it seemed like when they fought, it was like. So we don't know like how much of this Trolloc army like made it past the wall. <clears throat> yeah, in my head, it took a long time for them to get through. They just didn't show any of it, and I was disappointed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just come charging out of the tunnels that they yeah. rode the horses into. Yeah. Cool. So. Uh, she can't stop herself from taking more and more of the power in and it starts to burn out all of these women one by one. They start to just like get fried by the amount of power they're taking in. Yeah. And the two weaker women are the first to go. And then Egwene starts to go a little bit and Nynaeve kind of jumps on top of her and seems to like take on her burden of drawing power somehow. <laughs> I thought this was weird too. Like I'm in front of, I'm in between you two. So now she can't get your power. Yeah. Is that what's happening here? It seems like it. I don't know. She needed to whisper the line from the first episode. I, I didn't like this part. Is this where she says it? Like, no, you remember when I said that you're alone and never alone. Goodbye. Oh, She does say that. Yeah. Bye. Bye now. Do you think every orifice burns out or just your eyes? Ew. <laughs> I mean, your, your ears, you know, your mouth. I don't know. <laughs> just your eyes? All right. Did it show the mouth burning out? I don't think. Yeah, kind Kinda, of. right? Yeah, yeah, maybe it is every orifice. I did, like, the the effect of them getting burned out, I thought was kind of cool. I, did, I, like, I liked that they demonstrated that happening. Uh, I would have rather just like seen them collapse and some of that money gone into Trollocs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't disagree let's, with that. Let's either. push this money over here <laughs> <laughs> instead of here. Yeah, I, it's okay. I think my biggest problem with this scene is just the the, the healing at the end. It's just like a force heal. It, it kind of it, you see this. I, I shouldn't spoil other movies, but I, I've seen this before where it's like, whoopsie, didn't happen. I think you said this at the beginning, Zach. Like. Yeah. Whoopsie, that didn't happen. They like they, they have this big character moment for Nynaeve where she makes like a sacrifice and then they just like undo it like two minutes later. Yeah. And the way that they undo it is kind of sketchy. And so is the way that they have her like make it in the first place. So like we would have been smoother if this just didn't happen, I think. <laughs> yeah. There are other ways that they should they can show Nynaeve being selfless, you know. Yeah, like killing that lady, but I guess she wouldn't do that. I think it cuts back into Pot and Fane before we get this healing scene, but we're already we're talking about it, so I guess let's just keep going. Uh, yeah, you're not supposed to be able to heal people from death in this universe. Like that's the thing that they say over and over again in the books is impossible, and we never see anybody do it. Oh, you think she died? 
I, I think kind of based like. on my knowledge of the books, I'm saying that I don't think she did. Oh, okay. But they made it seem like she did. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if she just got like really close, you know. Yeah, I would assume that she was like a hair's breadth from being burned out. Right. And On the very last edge. Yeah, then Egwene was able to bring her back from right. that. But it does kind of read like she died, so I'm assuming there's at least like some portion of the fan base out there that thinks you can bring people back from the dead now. Yeah. It seemed like her brain melted and then it was unmelted. And to me, that's like death, but maybe not in this world. Maybe you can like mush your brain up into fire and it's okay. Yeah, it definitely doesn't make... Mm, I don't know. And then what? Do they like cry a little bit for a second? Or? Yeah, they kind of like comfort each other and they're like, yeah, that was crazy. Two rivers for life. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> wow, that we have an empty city to go back to. <laughs> well, there's women there. Oh, true, children. True. Yeah. So, uh, back in the throne room, Pat and Fane has the Horn of Valier now and he's kind of like gloating over Perrin. He's like, yeah, gotcha, man. And he also kind of brings up this concept of Taviran, where he's like, uh, all five of you are Taviran. Like, that's what brought Moraine to the two rivers. That's what brought the Dark One's attention. That's why I was there. All five of you are like this extremely powerful. Uh, yeah, what's the line he says? Do you think I rode all the way out to your shithole town to sell lanterns? Yeah. <laughs> Every bell time. It's like he hated it. Yeah. He is a piece of shit. Did he, he really did he whistle in this episode? I think so. I hope so. I hope we get more and more of this guy. This is one of these setups that I hope we get more and yeah, more of. Yeah, I think Pot and Vane was like probably the best done character in the all of season one, maybe. Hmm. Oh, that's a hot take. I'm not disagreeing with you. Uh, uh, Maureen uh, too. Maureen, Maureen's probably better because we get more of her, I guess. But I feel like they nailed Pod and Fane in this dude. Like he was. Pod and Fane's definitely well done. Yeah. I also think that probably Matt was originally supposed to be in this room. Yes, that seems very likely. Oh, like that's probably how. Like it should have been Matt with the dagger. Yeah. Getting like and then that's how Pod and Fane got it and. Pot and Fane, and then he takes the dagger from Matt. That makes sense. Matt would have got a chance at a fade as well. But Barney Harris quit the show, and they had to uh, make adjustments. Hope you're okay, Barney. Hope you're okay, Loyal. Yeah, we love you, Loyal. My Get better. Boy. My boy. Yeah, and then uh, yeah. I think there's a shot of, I didn't make a note of it because it didn't seem that important, but I think we get a shot of like all the two rivers gang like comforting each other at the end of this battle too here. And then we get, do we? I think so, right? I don't think with Perrin. I think like that's just like we see Loyal Lane there. He's dead. Yeah. Did or, we talk about Taviran enough? Uh, yeah, you mentioned it. I don't, I don't want to go too far into it. I mean, they're, I guess we should just say that. Taviran are people that have an extreme amount of like powerful fate like working around them. They have a very strong like destiny that they need to fulfill. Woven into that the pattern. Th yeah. Well, they haven't used enough that much of the pattern stuff, so I'm trying not to say it. They almost have like a gravitational pull. They have they have plot armor. It's like uh luck and 
Basically, their will will bend. Like, you know, things just go their way a lot. I think because the wheel has like designated them as like the most important person of this era. And they need to like yeah. fulfill destiny to complete the pattern. Right. And this is why I think Min's visions are so powerful. And she's like, wow, I've never seen this. They're all tied together, you know? Yeah. So they're really reinforcing this idea that even though Rand is the dragon, everybody else is like maybe just as important. All right. And then after this, we get a cut to black and then a little girl playing on the beach. And then we see all these crazy boats with a bunch of ladies channeling a super huge tidal wave at this one little girl on the beach. She must have done something very bad (laughs) to deserve strangely masked and makeup people. So not a lot is explained about these people or anything at all, really. They look like pretty scary. I think it's safe to assume that these are going to be villains in the near future. Yeah, I mean, like, I can talk about things that happened in other episodes, right? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. There was boats going missing off of the West Coast, so yeah, maybe this is why. That's exactly what it is. Okay, so uh, I think that about wraps it up for the uh, show portion of the episode. If you haven't read the books, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you listening to the show. It's been a crazy season. Join in... Uh, Next week when we release our season overview. Until next time, uh, thanks for joining us. Get at us. All right, book fans, let's get into book spoilers. If you haven't read the books, go away. Wow. Do you really think that was the eye of the world? (laughs) Maybe. I guess so. I don't know. I just don't understand why Moraine knew where it was, why it was so close to Malkir, and... It didn't really seem like the eye of the world. It just seemed like a seal was broken. Yeah, I mean, that's all it was, I think. Uh, In the books, Moraine already had a broken seal, right? Isn't that why she's kind of like, we got to No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. Somebody did. No. No way. Not before they got to the uh, eye of the world. Mm. But did she find some there? They they find like two broken there, I Mm. think, at the eye of the world. And then the two jabronis show up. Mm-hmm. Jabroni one and jabroni two. I mean, it's definitely cool to see a seal get broken. I like that. Me too. Uh, let's go back to the beginning of the episode here for a little bit. It seems like the Age of Legends is a little bit different. There is no obvious uh, war of the power happening. Not at this place. So I kind of alluded to this earlier, but so this might just be the beginning of it, you know, like it hasn't gotten that bad yet. Uh, but then why is Luz there and desperate enough to try something like this? Because of uh, shoddy storytelling. <laughs> he doesn't seem very smart. I mean, he wears nice clothes, I guess. So. Very handsome man. So handsome. Uh, the Chamberlain seat, uh, wasn't really a thing in the Age of Legends. We have Lucerne himself remarks is or is described as wearing something called the Ring of Tamerlan when he's like the uh the leader of the Aes Sedai, but there's no implication that there's like a, a separate but equal like female version. Hmm. 
It's all just like combined into one I said die where men and women work together equally. What's the difference between Tamerlan and Omerlin? I, I think the implication is just that like the T was lost through time or something. Okay. Uh, Latra Pose doesn't really have an alternate plan like she does in the books. She's just like, that's a bad idea and we should do nothing. Yeah, I would have liked her for her to present like a different idea. You know, what What do you, what do you bring into the table here? Nothing. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that also lends to the theory that this is somehow the beginning of the war of power. Because she doesn't seem concerned at all. Yeah, she's like, why would you even think about doing that? Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, maybe like after he says he's going to do that, it doesn't happen for some time. Right. Or she's a dark friend. That's true. She could be bad. Well, like if if it's the same as the books, then they wouldn't even know about the dark one until after the boar was opened. Yeah. uh, I mean, I think there's quite a bit of time between the boar getting opened and the actual war of power, though. Yeah, I think that's also accurate. I don't know the actual amount, but I assume it was decades at least. These people live a super long time. So they talk about to... it in uh, the world of the Wheel of Time. I think it's like around a couple decades. I can't remember exactly. Wait, does he have a Heron Mark blade? Lose Theron? Yeah. Not in the sh- shot. Oh, okay. I don't think. He, he, has, a sword he has like a dragon emblem on his uh, collar, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's cool. I see, I see. Uh, the next note I have is we got the land quote that we've all been waiting for since like episode three or four. <laughs> that was fun to see. They changed it a little bit, I think, but it was still just as good, I think. Are you talking about when he's talking to Nynaeve? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great moment. When does that happen in the books? Around the same time. Oh, really? I thought it happened in later books. No, it's like while they're moving through the blight, they're like camping for the night in the blight, I think, like right outside of Malkir. Oh, well, then I'm fine with that. I thought it happened way sooner than it did in the books, but... No, they just changed the wording a little bit is all I meant. Like, I think uh, they, they left out the uh, no bride deserves uh, widow's black as her bride price or something like that I think is the second half of the quote that they didn't use right it's yeah something like that yeah so do you think if the uh, two rivers folk had gone with Moraine and Rand that it would have gone better or no not really I mean I don't think they would have done anything there what could they have done I channel with Moraine so she doesn't get cut off I feel like all three of them would have just got cut off True. Yeah, I mean, in the books, they don't do anything when they're there. It's all ran. I thought Egwene like put up some fire or something or tried. I think she does, but then she gets like bitch slapped into a wall and knocked out. Yeah, instantly <laughs> knocked out. He's like, he's crazy. Yeah, he's a crazy guy. He better watch out. He's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. We're talking about Aganor and Balthamel now, so I guess why don't we say that? Uh, yeah. Full book spoilers. They were cut from the show, obviously, and I don't mind that. They're kind of silly. <laughs> yeah, I didn't need that to happen. I wish something a little closer to just a combining of their two characters would have gone on. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, this is 
what happened in the show here is completely different than the ending of the book, The Eye of the World. Yeah. Yeah, they basically took Rand's destroying the Trollocs and gave it to Egwene and Nynaeve. Not even. Well, yeah, they gave it to Amalisa. Amalisa, yeah. I mean, it obviously wasn't. Yeah, I know. She's wearing her grandpa's armor. Yeah, that's what really did it. Did that make you feel extra special when she defended the city? Like, because it, as long as that armor's been worn, it's always been defended. Nice. I guess so. Yeah, that's cool. Nice. Man, I wish they would have given that scene to Rand, though. That would have been really cool because I feel like Rand didn't get to do anything that really like showed off his power. They had all that set up about uh, power like a raging sun with Nynaeve, like the Dragon Reborn is going to be so insane. I was really hoping to see like a anything. display of raw power from Rand in this episode. Really anything, man. So, I, I mean, you're saying anything, and I will stand up and say that, okay, we see... Ishmael get just like he works Moraine really easily, right? He he just shuts her off from the source and like no problem. Yeah, and we know that Moraine's pretty strong, and if Rand can blast him, then he must be really strong too. We also know that he didn't really blast him though, and that was just a trick. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's I'm like this is like really weak. I'm just trying to you know a little bit. And the reason he's even strong in the books is because he has the eye of the world. But now what's giving him this ultra power is the Sayangrail. Right. Which is cool. I like the Sayangrail yeah, that, introduction. That really bother me, but uh but yeah, it's it's definitely I wish it would have been a bigger display, even though maybe it would take a huge amount of power to kill this guy, wink wink. It's still not shown. We, we can this. talk about who he is. We we're in the full book spoiler mode. Yeah, Ishamayo. But but in the show, it's still wink wink whether he's dead or alive, yeah. right? Like, because this is nothing like the book, so I don't know what happened to this guy. He <laughs> smiled though. So yeah, I mean, we think he's alive. But it would have been cool if, like, behind him, they would have shown like it all like blasted out, like in Dragon Ball Z or some shit. Yeah. Like he really like smoked this fool, you know? Yeah. Uh, but that it just didn't. Neat. It didn't do anything like that. It was hard to tell, like. Like you said, I want this big display. Like nine, we got with Nynaeve where it zooms out and it shows this huge Super Saiyan field of energy glowing around her. I don't know if the implication even was that Rand like directly attacked Ishamael. It seemed like the implication was that he attacked like the the hole in the prison, and then once that was shut, like Ishamael's presence kind of like deteriorated from our plane of existence. I almost thought we were supposed to think that was like Balefire or something. It didn't really look like Balefire at all. Not how it's described in the book. I mean, but I, I don't I, know. I kept thinking during this episode, I'm like, nothing a little Balefire can take care of. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> a little Balefire can fix. Sprinkle a little Balefire around it. And then it just never came. Make, I was like, make Cad Swain happy. Yeah. I'm like, Loyal is definitely stabbed. Dude, fucking Loyal's dead. I'll be so mad. He's not. He's dead, not dead. Yeah, Rafe, he's not Rafe dead. already confirmed that he's still alive. Oh yeah. Yeah. What a spoiler ass bitch. Well, I think they're gonna use. <laughs> see, there's no reason for them to chase the knife now, unless it's because Matt's not there. So now that Loyal has been wounded by the knife, oh. he's gonna be sick from the dagger, and they're gonna have to chase down the dagger to save Loyal. Okay. So that's going to play into the Great Hunt, great hunt arc, I think. Oh. Uh, 
That makes sense. And then what? Matt is going to just get healed and go on his way with Tom? I don't know. Maybe. I would imagine Tom is going to have something to do with Matt next season. And that would make sense when Tom meets up with Rand in the second book. Has Matt been recast? Yeah. He's a guy that was in The Witcher. Donald Finn, I think is his name. Just okay. just some like, he was just some Random Joe Schmo in The Witcher. Okay. He's like, here's some gold. Will you do my work? He's the oh, one, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. The one that hires. I've seen the picture. Yeah. yeah. He talks just like that. Just so you guys <laughs> What else do we want to talk about? I actually uh, thought that was an audio clip you had queued up. Yeah. I actually have a speaker in my mouth. It just comes out. You want to hear it again? So I think <laughs> it seems like uh, I've read a little bit of a theory online from Reddit and I kind of buy into this that uh, they're going to try to combine the Great Hunt and the Dragon Reborn next season. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me. So Rand is going to be on his way to Tyr to get Kalindor while Perrin, Egwene, Nynaeve, and Matt do the Great Hunt arc. Oh. I I mean, we really like could have had a little bit of gimmies just to make this all work. I mean, like why we didn't see Rand read the 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 book. Yeah, the prophecies of the dragon, I think we're definitely lacking this season. It would have been cool to have some of that. Like we're, we're getting into season overview stuff though, so we shouldn't talk about that really. True. I'm just saying, like, what if during this episode or even the last episode he had just been reading that book like it's on the table. Like I didn't need, you don't need to spoon feed it to me, but like he still could have been like reading that book. Or have your walking exposition machine loyal just like start telling him the prophecies of the dragon. Yeah. Uh, I already thought that was almost getting overdone. I guess that's Loyal's character, but we, you can't just have him worry. He's always time. quoting the prophecies of the dragon. Yeah, he is. He's, yeah. Your, he's the archivist, man. He's just knowledge based. Yeah. Um, I I really think some of these things could have just been shut up better. Uh, the horn, man. Like they didn't mention <clears throat> the horn at all. They like, didn't even show they did, a horn until it became necessary in the plot. And then they're like, "Here's the horn now." And then this I is thought, important all of a sudden. As a book reader, I thought Land stabbing himself with the sword would have been really cool if we would have got some Rand. Si- yeah, Rand stabbing himself with the sword would have been really cool if we would have got some setup earlier with Lan training him and maybe explaining that, like she how it happens, sword. like what sheathing the sword is in the books. They, they didn't have to do that, I don't think, though. No, I mean, they don't have to do any of this stuff, but why I think they do have all to these... set up the, like, the horn? The horn yeah, is I mean, the a horn lot more de- important. The horn is definitely more egregious. Random dream scene. I know, but it's just like, why have these things? I just don't understand a lot of the choices they made. Yeah. Well, it was it was something made off screen, right? Because Lord Agamar was like, you know what to do. And Uno was like, I sure do. Like, yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, you could have had a little bit of something there, you know? Instead they, of you know what to do. They should have had Tom sing a song about it or something. Like, I don't know. That's true. He got one song was off. If he would have sang The Great Hunt for the Horn or something or told the story. Yeah, that would have been cool. Could have seen Fayil somewhere. Yeah. Or they could have met like a hunter for the horn at a pub somewhere along the way. Not even met one, just like seen one walk past and somebody explain what that is. You know, oh, that must be a hunter for the horn. What's that? Yeah. Or he's like, shut up, nothing. Just like massaging <laughs> your temples. Yeah. 
goddamn fucking kids. Um, yeah, and then Rand, I thought was it was kind of stupid that he just walks into the blight a little bit more after Moraine just said that young men are stupid and get turned into fungus. In well, I mean, he doesn't really have a choice. He kind of has to go. And what's she going to do? Lay there? I mean, she's going to do what she did. Follow Rand? Yeah. Uh, that's true. <laughs> but she says when he comes in, he's gone. Like, she already did his, like, I said I thing where she had to, like, not lie. Oh, I thought you were talking about when uh, they went into the blade at the beginning of the episode, not when Rand went off on his own at the end. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. When he just, like, decides he's going to go hike in the blight mm-hmm. towards the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> Copy pasta trees for days. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I mean, bye. He, he's the dragon born. He can do whatever he wants, bro. This was fun. Yeah. Uh, the Sean Chan looked different. What did you think about how the Sean Chan looked like? I think they look really cool. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's what I would expect them to look like. Did you? Do you not think they look like that? They were like similar to what I pictured and different at the same time. I think the Damani looked a lot different than what I pictured in my head. I didn't expect as much like these guys look a lot like the, what are they called? Easterns in uh, Lord of the Rings. Like the guys that helped Sauron. Kind of like uh, Persian Empire sort of. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be crazy when they have Texas accents. <laughs> <laughs> It seems they were speaking the old tongue, I think, when they were given commands on the ships. Which makes sense, right? Yeah, I don't know if they uh, would. They wouldn't have spoken the old tongue in Hard, Arter Hawkwing's time, I don't think. No, but I could see how, like, maybe the, they have, the like, commands are commands given in yeah, like old tongue. Damani and uh, Suldam themselves are old tongue words, I suppose. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it looks really cool. Uh, I think the ships were about... Turned, turned up a couple notches too high. They were a little too outrageous for me. I thought that they're supposed to have those kind of sails though. No, the sails are cool. They're, it's I, like the spikes all over Yeah, everything. the spikes all over the boat and stuff like that. They're just, I don't know. It was a little too much. Yeah, they were definitely wanting to like drive home that these are bad guys. So they just like put spikes on everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are extremely oppressive. Like, yeah, I mean, but it's just like silly. Like it would serve no actual point to have little spikes all over the boat like that. It's just something from like a. I mean, people decorated their boats all the time with like silly shit that didn't help them, like mermaids on the front <clears throat> and stuff. I wish there was like no Turoks or what are they called? Uh, the Rockin? Rockins. The Turokin and Rockins or. Oh, we didn't see any? I don't think so. Yeah. Right. Uh, Those are all under the shipboard. You can't see them. They're in their cave. They're scouting ahead over the land. Probably. I mean, that's probably true. true. They would be on the boat. Like that's they're not going to fly the whole way across the ocean. They'd probably yeah. be scouting ahead over the mainland at that point while they're that close to the shore. Though, yeah, they're like, "There's a girl down there, tidal weaver." <laughs> they're like, "Hurry up, everybody, line I don't up!" Know. Do, you, do you think <laughs> they can take off from the deck of one of those boats? There's a lot of rigging Seems like and stuff. It. I don't know. Probably not. I would guess. The rockin' aren't that big. The tow rockin' are bigger, but I think the rockin' are pretty small. The tow rockin' definitely can't. I mean, for it to be big enough to take off with a person, it's got to have like a 15-foot wingspan. There's a lot of ropes coming off a sailboat. Like a 15-foot gap's pretty... They, they can they just run, like run too, to right? the end and jump off and take off from there. You know? Yeah. I thought they had to run. The 
the big ones have to get a running start. Okay. But the little ones, I believe, can take off from a leap. They just jump clear of the boat and then start flapping their wings. Yeah. Man, it would have been cool to see one of those, though. I guess they could climb up, like, to the top. They didn't have the budget. I know. (laughs) They could climb up to the top of the sail and then jump off like the cat. Yeah. The crow's nest. This is why everything should be animated. Yeah. Yeah, again, man, where's that $10 million budget at? I guess this shot looked expensive. This shot looks pretty good. There's a bunch of ships. Yeah. The big wave. There's a lot of CGI going on here. Is that something you like have to do when there's tidal waves is show one little girl staring up at it? Yeah, it's actually a law. That's why they put her there because they legally had to. Probably. I like how the implication that like there's no town or anything there. The implication is that the Sean Chan were just like, fuck this girl. Hey, see that little girl? Fuck her day up. Yeah. <laughs> like, also, everybody dude, comes out to bear witness. Also, like they're pretty close. You know how fucked up you'd get if like a big wave like that hit a cliff? Like it would bounce back, right? Like, yeah. They're magical. They don't have, they have better pacifiers to stop it. Yeah. I think right. that's kind of cool. They're like muzzled. They're dogs. Yeah. yeah. And they do kind of have like a big collar thing. It looks like there's a gold thing <laughs> that goes like the whole ways around their necks or their shoulders. It almost looks more like a shoulder pad or like a. Yeah. What's that armor that goes around your neck? Uh, gib, gib, giblet. You mean the thing that. Pretend, protects you from getting uh, your throat slit. Yeah. Uh, I forget what the name of that is. I can't remember. A goat. Uh, starts with a G, I think. Yeah, it starts with a G. We'll talk about it later. It's not that important. But um, I do dig the like kind of Persians from 300 vibe they have going on here. I don't hate it. King yeah. Xerxes look. It yeah. makes them look like sufficiently foreign. I almost pictured the Sharans looking more like this though. I was actually going to ask uh, yeah, if you okay. think this, they could be, com- they might just combine them. You know, I think, possible, I think yeah. the Shinarans are just going to get completely axed. Shinarans or Shinaras uh, is a whole different Yeah, that's a different thing. Uh, <laughs> I think that's just going to get completely axed. It basically did in the series, in the book series. Yeah. I don't think that needs to happen at all. It would be cool if we got like a separate series that followed the adventures of, uh, they could call it like the Shinaran Chronicles. Yeah. What's his name? Help me out. The adventurer. Jane oh, Farstrider. Jane Farstrider. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't get any of him this season. Well. <laughs> oh, you were being facetious. Yeah. Bullshit. Well, they did actually have Jane Farstrider. They talked about the book. I know. I know. <laughs> but I needed to see him. Where you at, Noel? Come on, Noel. Hero of the horn. See, if they would have blown the horn, we would have seen him then. But no, <laughs> can't do it now. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Plus, if they would have blown the horn, then fucking Uno is the guy who is tied to the horn for the rest of the series. Yeah, that'd be great. So Uno's not dead, right? I mean, like he's just already cast in the next season, and also it's, like, I mean, do you think Matt still blows it? We're gonna get a new Matt, and he's gonna blow it. Yeah, probably. Absolutely. Okay, that's probably Yeah, I think that's about all we want to talk about. We've pretty sufficiently dissected this episode. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. We can't wait to get into the season overview next week. I think that's going to be a pretty big episode. Yeah, all right. Love you guys. Love you, bye. Love you, Jeffy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so thank you for listening to the Northern Wind Fantasy Podcast. 
I'm Zach. I'm Jake. I'm Steve. Follow us at Three River Boys. Three Rivers Boys. Spell out the three. Yeah, and then it's plural rivers. Multiple rivers. There are three of them, yes. A lot of them. Well, three. (laughs) Read more books.